Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Today is the day you have made. I will Today is the day. It is Friday, the 2nd of August. I don't know. I still kind of find it surprising that it's August, but it is. It's August. Good morning. Um, America has an identity crisis. This is a surprise to no one this morning. However, I think that when we talk about and think about identity crisis, we think about our national conversation, and sometimes we think about other people and the identity crisis that we perceive them to have. This LifeWay survey that was just referenced in the SRN News at the top of the hour, you can find it, by the way, at factsandtrends.net, or you can find it at lifewayvoices.com. The information related to where do we find our identity? Um, Where do Americans find their identity? How do Americans answer the question, what comes to mind when you think about who you are? So let me just ask the question here this morning. What comes to mind when you think about who you are? If you and I have uh, genuinely set our minds on Christ, if we are cultivating the mind of Christ in the matters of the day, if we are no longer our own, but indeed not only belong to Christ, but abide in him, then we are thinking about what he's thinking about, and we are thinking about the matters of the day in the way that he's thinking about the matters of the day. And therefore, when we think about who we are, we think about Christ. Now, only 2% of the people who were surveyed actually gave any religious answer at all to the question, what, do you, what comes to mind when you think about who you are in terms of your core identity? And let me just ask you, I mean, straight up, if you're not in Christ, if that's not your core identity, uh, oh, this is going to sound t- terribly harsh first thing in the morning. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I don't, you just can't be, you can't. You can't be slapping the Christian label on yourself like it's a name tag that you, you know, went and made for yourself. I mean, if you're in, you're either in Christ or you're not. And if you're in Christ, that's your identity. Everything else is secondary. Everything. Every other relationship is secondary. Uh, What you do is secondary. Uh, Where you go to school or what team jersey you wear, even if you're a loon, which I learned today is a soccer team in Minneapolis. And not only that, it is the state bird of Minnesota. You guys are loons. I don't know. It's kind of exciting to me to learn this this morning. I'm probably going to have to work that into most conversations we now have. Um, all right. So I want you to text me your answer to the question. What comes to mind when you think about who you are? When you think about who you are, do you offer a relational answer to that question? And if so, is the primary relational answer to the question, I'm in Christ. I'm a kingdom ambassador. I'm a, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. I'm... I'm an agent of grace. I'm a minister of reconciliation. Do you answer it relationally as who you are in Jesus Christ? I'm a redeemed sinner. I'm born again. Those are relational answers to the question, which actually, by the way, relational answers to the question top of the list in terms of Americans and their sense of identity. So this is there is an opportunity for you and I as Christians to engage in the conversation that's happening today in America about identity, because what comes to mind for most people when they think about who they are what what comes to mind for most people is a relational answer to the question. The problem is the primary relationship that they point to is not one with Jesus. 
And so is it for us? If our answer to the question is relational, but it's not about a relationship with Jesus, what are we doing? Who do we think we are? Like, literally, who do we think we are? The who do you think you are conversation, by the way, was asked of Jesus at one point when uh, when he answered a relationship question or he answered an identity question, like, you know, who do you think you are? Uh, he said, well, <clears throat> uh, the father and I are one. Like, we're the same thing. So Jesus answers the identity question uh, with a Trinity question, right, with a relationship to God the Father question. And so if you and I are going to be Jesus-y people, Christ-like people, people who are abiding in Christ, we are going to answer the relational question. We're going to answer the question relationally, and we're going to answer the relational question in terms of our relationship to God the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. So whatever else you were thinking about this morning uh, when we started here today, I hope you are now thinking about who you are. When you look yourself in the mirror and you, and you answer the question, what comes to mind when I think about who I am? I hope you think about the affection that God the Father has for you. You were conceived in his heart of hearts before the foundations of the earth. God prepared in advance, way in advance, the good works that he sets before you to do today, and he pours the power of the Holy Spirit into you that you would accomplish those things. So if you answer the question um, in terms of uh, what you do, that's sort of the second category. Uh, People answer it relationally, and then they answer it in terms of like what they do, functionality, jobs, those kinds of things. That's okay, too, in terms of the Christian answer to the question. But if you're going to do that, then the, then the answer is, wow, I, uh, I'm, I'm in the world to do the things that God has willed and that he has set before me to do because actually God prepared in advance all the good works that he intends for me to do today. He set all the divine appointments he intends for me to have, uh, and those I will keep. And I will keep as faithfully as I can by the power of the Holy Spirit at work within me. Okay, um, I have run over this first segment, but I'm a little fascinated by this conversation. Next up, or I should say first up, our friend Matthew Hawkins. You can find him at mthawk, matthewthawkins.com. He and I are going to talk about um, political engagement, and we're going to do so in a little bit of a different way. And that's considering what is the model of political engagement or the model of discourse in which you actually engage? Like, how do you do it? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. So when we uh, think about how we engage in political discourse, when we... We talk about political engagement. Have you ever thought about how you do that? Most of us just do it by instinct or we do it by, uh, you know, frankly, without a lot of thought. Like whatever comes to mind, um, whatever comes to our mind comes out of our mouth. And so what guides what comes to your mind? I think that's a, a huge question for us to be asking. What guides our mouths is what comes to our minds. So what comes to your mind when you think about political engagement. And if Jesus is really the operating system, if Jesus is not only um, you know, our Savior, but actually the Lord, if he is the one who, uh, into whom we are being more and more thoroughly conformed, moment by moment, by one degree of glory to another, then you and I are going to cultivate the mind of Christ on the matters of the day. Like That is how that is designed by God to work. And so when we think about political engagement... I'm not sure that uh, 
each and every one of us considers first, hey, I am a Christian first in this conversation every, every single time. I'm a Christian first in this conversation every single time. And so we're going to talk with Matthew Hawkins about what that looks like and what that means. Hey, my friend, Matt, welcome back. Good morning, Carmen. Good morning. Thank you very much. Sorry for the, my delay. Oh, no, that's okay. They didn't even know because, you know, I, sometimes I just, I just riff anyway. So there you go. They didn't you know you really. anyway. Yeah, good. Yeah. So Matthew's good. Thank you. Um, folks uh, who are listening have been praying this week for Matthew. He had surgery on Tuesday morning. Um, I, I expect that we get to go home from uh, Vanderbilt Children's tomorrow morning, but he's doing great. Wonderful. Uh, yeah, he's, uh, you know, for kids, the big thing is the last thing that they get um, disconnected from so that they can move around again, like, you know, out of bed, outside, whatever. And that happened yesterday. So we're we're totally, you know, mobile and running. We're not allowed to run, but <clears throat> we're running around again right. without running. Yeah. But thank you for asking. Yeah, it's all good. Great. Okay, so uh, folks can find you at MatthewTHawkins.com. Um, I have set right. this conversation up this way. Um, if, uh, if I'm going to engage in the political conversations of the day, I am going to do so as a Christian first. And so that right. means that I have to not just think about what I'm thinking about. I have to think about how would Jesus think about this, and not just as an individual, but as a member of the corporate body of Christ in the world today. Now, you and I would recognize that is not what's happening in uh, American politics today. So uh, I just want to set it up this way. What is political engagement? What model of political engagement do you see most of us engaging in? And then we're going to talk about how we can do better than that. Sure. I think you're absolutely right. I think as um, as believers, our worldview ought to be informed by Scripture. And part of uh, being informed by Scripture is our identity and association with a local body of believers. And I think it's that association with a local body that I don't think is translating into our political engagement. By political engagement, I just I kind of mean the big picture, um, whether it's I mean, they, the voting booth thing is part of it. But I think we often, too, uh, too often see it as the cornerstone or the capstone of our political engagement. And it's really just part of a bigger picture. Um, a church is going to be engaged in its community. Another term you could use is civic engagement. And I think if you any church who engages its community, that's civic engagement. So whether you're providing um, a shelter for homeless or a soup kitchen or a pregnancy care center um, or an addiction recovery service, like that's all civic engagement. Um, it's just just part of it. So I, I see like political as far as like electoral processes as just part of uh, that broader vision of civic engagement, which churches do all the time and uh, and often don't think much of it. It's not controversial. Um, but I, I think part of the thing that we're missing and I've been reflecting off this the last couple of years is that uh, we have some misconceptions about the church and the political world. And that has led us to adopt models of Christian engagement, political engagement that are, number one, informed by the outside world, and as opposed to starting with Scripture and working out into a strategy. And it's also uh, become very individualistic. And so I think we've uncritically absorbed um, what we've uh, kind of the, the, the water that we swim in, the yeah. aquarium that we're in uh, of Western individualism, which, you know, in, in what are we hey, responding Matt, let's, um, to? Hey, Matt, something's going a little crazy um, with our know, 
with our audio. So we're going to take a quick break. Matt, let's take a quick break and let's see if we can get the audio uh, issue resolved. um, All right, we'll be right back. All right, so we're back uh, with Matthew Hawkins. You can find him, MatthewTHawkins.com. You can also find him on Twitter at MTHawk. Um, we are talking about the water that we swim in in Western civilization. We're also talking about uh, our failure to sort of think about the way we think about things. And so we don't often think about um, why the church is the way it is or whether or not the way that we experience the church is the way God intended. Uh, we just assume that it is it is how it is, and that must be how it's supposed to be. And that is uncritical thinking. And so today we want to apply the mind of Christ to the question of political engagement. How how did Christ engage, and therefore how should we engage? And he engages uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit in each and every one of us collectively as the body of Christ in the world today. But that is expressly anti-individualistic and it, it it expresses an ecclesiology, an understanding of the church that most of us don't possess. Um, we think of the church as something that we join as a voluntary um, organization, and then we strip ourselves away from when it doesn't satisfy some kind of need that we think it should be meeting, which is actually not a healthy ecclesiology. So, Matt, I have uh, uh, that's my segue back into the conversation about models of, of political engagement that would be more Christian, frankly. Uh, which would be not individualistic and uh, proactive versus reactionary. So let's just talk about cultivating that kind of model of engagement. Yeah. And uh, to underscore this point, LifeWay had a study recently that showed only on the particular issue of immigration, only one in 10 Christians uh, had believed that there were – their opinion about the issue was formed by the Bible. One in ten. That means nine out of ten of us aren't consulting the Bible uh, on the issue of immigration, uh, which isn't, uh, you know, specific to policy, but uh, certainly has uh, principles that uh, ought to be applied. And then even less than that, zero uh, point. Two out of ten, uh, or something like that, are influenced the local church on that particular issue. So we're not looking to our churches uh, for local guidance. I think there are reasons for that. There are cultural reasons. Um, the first is, I think, a century-old what we call privatization of religion. So this general trend, chill factor as far as church political engagement at all. Uh, the limitations actually are very little. Uh, they have to do with expressly with um, participation and and candidate endorsement and an uh, and a live. Um, uh, uh, campaign. Um, so they're very limit, uh, very limited. So a church can talk about political issues. It can disciple its people on a proper view and ethical view of, of political issues. Uh, it really need not uh, stray away from things, but we also write, we use those as examples to uh, ignore that kind of thing. And then you add the individualism thing. Uh, I think it's no wonder that we're uh, split on political issues, unified. Jonathan Lehman gives us a helpful picture in his book, uh, Political Church. He talks about uh, trying to decipher um, what the church can do jointly as a body, collectively, I would say corporately, of severally, right? You and I as Christian individuals out in the public square. Um, there are issues that um, the church can engage and do jointly. And a lot of us that 
uh, we can do separately. And I think that's the jointly part that we haven't really thought through. We haven't really thought, what is my, the, our ecclesiology? What is my association and membership in a local church? Uh, how ought that influence my engagement of politics? Um, I think about uh, employee uh, morality that even non-Christian businesses have, right? And it kind of, even though you go through to the office nine to five, uh, your external, the, your life outside of office hours, there's still some expectations um, with regard to your employment contract. I don't think we're viewing membership in the local body. Um, I don't think that membership in a local body is we're applying to our political behavior, uh, frankly, including how we talk about politics on social media. So that's some of my critique. um, And I think we need to uh, reinvest um, some uh, in, in our view of the local membership of our church and figure out um, really what that might demand of us or what that might call us to do and think differently about our political engagement. So, Matt, you're blowing people's minds right now because essentially what you're saying is, right, that the the corporate body um, should influence and the and the and the documents of the corporate body, uh, in this case, the Bible should influence um, how I think about the politics and how I talk about uh, folks who disagree with me politically and how I engage in conversations with them as together we live um, in this place called the United States of America, and we do so, um, you know, under a government assist under a system of government that is, you know, by the people and for the people, right? Of the people, by the people, right. for the people. Right. And so, um, yeah. uh, we we tend to separate those in our in our minds. We tend to separate um, church and state, and we have done so to our own detriment. And right. so not only are we not allowing the Bible to influence uh, the way that we not only think about things but engage in political discourse today, we have um, completely, you know, put the church over there like in its own in its own sphere as if right. as if the things of the church don't influence the things of the world and shouldn't like they should be, you know, right. I don't know, sequestered off. Um, and we also right. do not take into account what our pastor thinks about anything. Like, right, we're not seeking exactly. counsel yeah. from our pastors. And yeah. so, and it, I, you know, I, I'm with you. I think it's a, I think it's a challenging day. Yeah. And, and to be sure, it's a, it's a challenging subject because we don't have scriptural text. We don't have inspired text of the Bible that gives us an example of a quote-unquote New Testament church engaging a civic space as an institution where, as you say, the government is of the people, by the people, for the people, right? So <laughs> there's nothing explicit, right? We have right, all we only have it under of, Roman uh, rule, right? I mean, right, right Roman right. rule and yeah, and limited, and we have so we have, but throughout Scripture we have um, individuals, um, the people of God, engaging the magistrate at uh, mm-hmm. either um, uh, directly or participating as a uh, a part of the government. Uh, so we have again. And some of the some of the individualism, uh, I think, comes from that, too, because we see, you know, uh, we see uh, Moses before Pharaoh. We see Daniel navigating uh, Nebuchadnezzar's court. Um, we see Esther, uh, you know, uh, using her influence. So, you know, throughout the scripture, we see multiple people engaging um, the civil government in different ways. But it tends to be uh, mostly individualistic. Moses might be the the most uh, collective uh, 
example because he's, you know, speaking for the whole people of God. Um, but it's limited. But I think Scripture does have the resources. Uh, some of it comes from First Peter. You know, I, listeners have heard me mention this on your program before. Uh, but what is more interesting, what I've uh, studied just in the last couple of weeks, is that First uh, Peter starts with some pretty personal um uh, recommendations for uh, moral behavior um, that soon transitions from the individual to the church collectively uh, with regard to its relationship to one another. And then some of the big passages that we talk about submission to uh, human institutions and respecting the emperor, like that, that directive uh, is speaking to us corporately. It's not mm-hmm. just individuals. Right. It's actually not speaking individuals. to us as a. If you look at the uh, the original yeah, we're text, built together, uh, right? Right. Uh, it it talks about us being a royal priesthood, and I think instead of minding ourselves as a part of a royal priesthood, I think we're trying to be little kingmakers in chief. Mm. Mm. Hey, let, we got to leave it right there. Um, let's continue this conversation. We look forward to. Uh, you know, I'm just going to go be bold and say we look forward to what you're <laughs> writing about this. Uh, maybe we will see that soon at MatthewTHawkins.com. That'll be my little uh, pitch. How's that sound? <laughs> Thank you, Carmen. I appreciate it. Hey, we'll talk, we'll talk to you soon. Have a great Bye-bye. weekend. Thanks you so. too. We'll be right back. So let's just say that uh, this morning you were to, in your little Google search bar or whatever search bar you use, you were to type the words Mike Pence. Uh, and you were just to say, all right, what are people out there saying? Well, uh, you would see that he stopped at Skyline Chili. Uh, you would see that um, he, he, he thinks we got a workhorse deal uh, with GM. But then you would see all kinds of things uh, related to his character. You would see all kinds of opinion pieces. Um, you would see all kinds of accusations. You would see criticism. So here's the deal. Mike Pence is a brother in Christ. And he is uh, a Christian who has chosen to live out his calling in the context of what I will just say is political theater today, right? And so uh, there is a new um, biography of the vice president. It's entitled The Faith of Mike Pence. It's written by Leslie Montgomery. You uh, may well know her name. She also she also wrote a really fantastic book on Uh, the faith of Condoleezza Rice when Condoleezza was serving uh, our our nation in the Capitol as well. And so the faith of Mike Pence up next with Leslie Montgomery. All right. So uh, you just heard Neil Stavum encourage you to participate with us in our life together here at Faith Radio. Um, and let me just let you know that when you contact us, let's say on the text line at 877-933-2484, um, the very first thing that happens is that we pray for you. And so just a few minutes ago, uh, Melanie reached out, Caroline reached out, Emily reached out. Um, and so if you um, aren't already in our database, which a really a super duper effective way of getting into the database is to become uh, a person who is a part of the giving team. But if you're not in our database, then we, I pray for, like, the person in area code 612, which is, you know, God knows who you are, right? Or, or the person in area code 952 um, who writes in. But so communicate with us. We love to hear from you. The text line is always open, 877-933-2484. The website is obviously always open, myfaithradio.com. When you communicate with us, the very first thing that we do is pray for you. 
And we would appreciate that you do that as well as a part of uh, the family of folks that God is knitting together here at Faith Radio. All right. Up next, my conversation with Leslie Montgomery about our vice president. The book is The Faith of Mike Pence. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. I used to laugh when I heard the terms worrywart and nervous Nelly. They seemed so old-fashioned and dated. Um, but the funny thing is, now I'm saying them. Hi, this is Callie Breeze with Thrivent, helping you be wise and thrive. No doubt about it. Worry and fear are very real emotions. I feel them. You probably do too. Worry about keeping your children safe. Fear that you may lose your job. Worry about not having enough money. The Bible gives us some insight here and tells us not to worry about our life, what we will eat or what we will wear. Because life is more than food and clothing. As Jesus said, consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap, yet God feeds them. When you're a good steward of all that you've been given, you can be confident that God will provide what you need. It will make those terms worrywart and nervous Nelly things of the past. Leslie Montgomery is an author and a ghostwriter of oh, more than a dozen books. Um, she's best known to me for writing the spiritual biography, The Faith, the Faith of Condoleezza Rice. Um, while Condoleezza was serving our nation as Secretary of State in the George W. Bush administration. She has been a writer for Focus on the Family for over 20 years. She is the former director of publications for the American Association of Christian Counselors. And she lives in Boise, Idaho, where I just checked the weather, and it's going to be like 100 degrees over the weekend, which I, I will just, okay, that's that's a little shocking to me. Leslie, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Oh, thank you for having me, Carmen. I appreciate you. Okay, so I feel like Boise, Idaho is far enough north that it shouldn't be 100 degrees. I know, but it's, you know, Boise, Idaho has four seasons, and so I love it here. I love that. That's so great. Um, okay, The Faith of Mike Pence. This is, first of all, a delightful read. Let me just, just say that right out. Um, I think that we often read headlines where our vice president is just publicly attacked and humiliated because he's a Christian. Not, yes. uh, I mean, people aren't even like hiding the fact that they're attacking him because he is a person of faith. And so, um, first of all, let me just start with why did you write this book? Like, what what is it about Mike Pence that you know, you, you're like, okay, of all the people I could write a book about, I want to write a book about that guy. Well, I got to tell you, it wasn't my idea to write the book. It was really a God thing. I was uh, getting my kids ready to start school. I was praying. I was asking the Lord uh, what he wanted me to write next. I actually had a dream where he told me to write The Faith of Mike Pence. Mike Pence was not even on my radar. Um, I only thing I knew about him, basically, was that he claimed to be a Christian and that he was our vice president. I woke up in the middle of the night, started doing some research, and uh, put together a list of people I wanted to interview. And as I dove into the project, I, I really my preliminary research was that he really was a man of God. And and as I did interviews, I, the more I did, the more I realized it was it was really who he was at the core. So I think it's going to surprise people that writing a book like this is really a research project. And it so. Really is. Two and a yeah, half so, years of research and almost 60 interviews. Yeah, so talk about that a little bit, because I don't think people appreciate at all. Um, they think that, you know, writers, they just sit down and, you know, off the top of their head, they just throw some things down on the page. That is not the process that goes into writing an honest, reflective 
um, illustrative, illuminating uh, biography like this, The Faith of Mike Pence. So tell us what the process is like. Well, you know, when you first, you know, scratch the surface of interviews and read research, you find a lot of, you know, quips that that are said about Mike Pence. And and if you take them, you know, just for what they say, you're, you're getting, you know, people's opinions or what you're getting is the, you know, their agenda. You know, if you dig deeper, you find out what they're saying in context or you're, you're, you realize what's been twisted. And so, you know, you, you see things in their, in their full context and you realize that they're either lies or, you know. So I listened to hours and hours and hours of things that Mike said in congressional records. I went back and uh, read things that he said on the congressional floor 20 years ago. I, you know, read things he wrote in college. I mean, uh, I, I spoke to people, you know, that he went to college with, high school. I mean, it goes back from the very beginning of his life on. I mean, it's just years and years and years and years and years. Well, and I, that's one of the things I genuinely appreciate. And let me just remind folks, I'm talking to Leslie Montgomery. She is the author of The Faith of Mike Pence. It is a delightful, intimate look into the life of faith and the person of faith that is our vice president. Um, Leslie, when, um, when we think about what we know about other people, we know what they're saying about themselves, and we also know what other people are saying about them. And so we tend to form an opinion based on all of those things. Um, but the people who know someone best, the the people who see a person when they're off camera, um, when they're off mic, those are the folks who who really know the truth uh, about somebody. So you you dug far enough in this interview process to get to talk to people who would really know Mike Pence best, who would know the truth um, of of who he is when the rest of the world is not looking. So when you talked to those people behind the scenes, out of the limelight. Um, what what are some of the common thoughts about Mike Pence that kept coming up? Well, let me just say, too, is that I didn't just interview Republicans. I interviewed people on both sides of, of the table, and I also interviewed people who were LGBT and uh, pro-choice advocates. And everybody said the exact same thing about him, which was he is a man of God. He's a man of integrity. They said he was affable. He was genuine. He was, uh, you know, uh, loving, kind. Um, you know, they talked about what an incredible father he was, what a, you know, oh, every, everybody talked about you cannot meet and come across Mike Pence without him leaving an imprint on your life. Everybody talked about how he was an example to them in, in the way he treated his wife, in the way he treated his employees, in the way he treated them, in the way, you know, he would go to a meeting and he would sit down with them. And even though they had difference in opinions on, you know, the way they, say, they saw policy or the way they saw, you know, their religious views or their morals, he treated them kindly and, and respected them. And it was just, you know... I left that, writing that book, encouraged, inspired, and challenged in my own faith. And I just was just so impressed with him. I didn't think, oh, he's a spiritual God. I didn't walk away thinking that. But I thought, you know what? This man is really someone we need to be, who needs to be running our country, who we need to be looking up to, and needs to be an example to, to the nation. 
All right. So, Leslie, when we come back from the break, I'm going to ask you two really hard questions. Um, And I know that they are the questions on the on the minds of people who are listening right now who are skeptics. And those skeptics are asking, um, "Okay, what about this Billy Graham rule? Like they're asking that in their minds. And they are asking a question, you know, how could a person who is a committed Christian, you know, a, a, a genuine evangelical Christian, you know, how could he how could he become not only yoked, but intimately yoked as a running mate, you know, of a really controversial guy, Donald Trump. So we're going we're gonna to talk about those two questions when we come back. I'm talking to Leslie Montgomery. She is the author of The Faith of Mike Pence. It's a brand new uh, biography uh, available now. And so we're going to we're going to I'm going to ask her those two really hard questions when we come back. I'm back with Leslie Montgomery. She is the author of The Faith of Mike Pence, brand new biography available now. Um, Leslie, before the break, I told you uh, that the two questions coming up were going to be, you know, in my view, kind of the hard ones. So let's just take the Billy Graham rule first. Recently in the news, you know, we've got a candidate who's running for office in the South. Um, He's under, you know, really significant attack because, you know, he in his own life, he and his wife apply what we all have come to know as the Billy Graham rule. Um, And therefore, he, you know, was not willing to spend um, every uh, waking moment with a female journalist who wanted to shadow him for a number of days. Um, talk with us about how, how the Mike, uh, how the Mike Pence rule, how the Billy Graham rule works itself out in the life of Mike and Karen Pence. Well, you know, the, the, one of the problems with the Mike Pence rule is what that's being called in America, and you're right, it is the Billy Graham rule, is that, you know, everybody's taking it personal. Women are saying that it's, you know, it, that he's, that he's calling them sexual temptress, that they're not getting the same opportunities in the business world, that, you know, that that it's saying that he can't control himself. None of that is the, is the truth. It's not about them. It's not personal. It's not about him not controlling himself. It's about him honoring his wife. It's about him honoring God. It's about him, you know, abstaining from all appearances of evil. It's, a, it's about God. And um, that's what it's about regarding this uh representative in Mississippi. And and so that's what it is about about Mike Pence. And we have to remember that Mike and Karen have been married for over 35 years, which is more than, than two-thirds of Americans. And he has, obviously, they have something to, you know, offer Americans, not something to be criticized in that area. And if we look to them for, you know, as examples, then instead of criticizing them, you know, <laughs> we could learn from them, you know. That's but, exactly uh, right. And I, I love the way that you frame that. Um, because I do think that if 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 every single one of us was as concerned about the sanctity of every other marriage, not just uh, our own marriage, or we're, we're as concerned about um, the sanctity of marriage in terms of it being something that that is an image here of an eternal reality in heaven, if we understood that marriage itself is about God, um, then we would be having a different conversation culturally. But it's hard to have that conversation in the context of a culture where God is not only not at the center, he's really shoved out when it comes to political discourse. And so thank right. you for um, th- you know, thank you for what you say in the book about this particular subject, because I do think it's really, really helpful. I want to talk about um, I want to talk about uh, the marriage and the family um, of the Pence uh, of Mike and Karen Pence. But I want to talk first. I want to ask the hard question that I know the skeptics out there are asking. How could a guy like this, the, the kind of man that you're describing, a man of faith, how could he decide to become the running mate of a person who is, you know, quite controversial, Donald Trump? 
Yeah, that's a really good question. I think it's a fair question, and it's something I asked his friends, and they brought up a very good point. They said that there are numerous examples in the Bible, such as Daniel, um, of, of godly men who align themselves with ungodly kings, who are counsels to ungodly kings, and, you know, they feel like that God put um, Mike in the position to counsel uh, Trump and to be there to whisper in his ear. I think that that you cannot um, underestimate the power that he has had in, in the White House. You have to remember that before he came along that uh, Trump was pro-choice. He was also not a, a fan of Israel. He also was not any indication that he was a believer. Since that time, there are weekly Bible studies in the White House. He's constantly asking questions about the Bible and asking for information uh, from God's Word. He is um, now pro-Israel. He is also um, pro-life. And so there are a lot of things going on on behalf of evangelicals in um, pro-scripture that I think that lead straight back to um, Mike Pence. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I am one of those people who, um, you know, would be very quick to say, uh, given the opportunity to be in the room or at the table or sitting um, at the right or the left hand of a person in any position of influence, if the Christian is given that opportunity, um, then we have to recognize that's a divine appointment. That's that's something that God uh, God wants us in that place, speaking on His behalf, even in the context of a conversation that may otherwise, um, you know, be very very worldly or very secular. And we're called to be people who are patient while other folks are asking the questions to which we already know the answers, right? And so, right. Um, I, you know, I think that I think that the fact that Mike Pence is in the room, not just in the room, but um, but, you know, the counselor, right? He is in the role of the counselor to the president. And that is, um, that's an incredible opportunity. We need to certainly be praying for our vice president um, as, you know, as God uses him in this very unique way. Well, and I talk- the alternative, Hillary Clinton? Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, no. Yeah, you know. no. You, you and I are not going to talk about the alternatives today because it's just be- – it's in this case, just really, really good to focus on the guy who God right. has in, in the position, which is awesome. So let's right. talk about their family because um, family is really important to Mike and Karen Pence. We Absolutely. get to see that. We get to see that on display. But it's not just their family that's important. Talk about the importance of family just in terms of a heartbeat issue for the vice president. You know, first of all, there is no Mike Pence without Karen Pence. I mean, they are a rock. Their entire marriage from the beginning, you know, he even before he was marriage, married, he sat down with Karen and he said, listen, this is not about just having a, a marriage and someone to have kids and someone to sit down and, you know, raise my kids while I go off and do my thing. I want a partner. I want to be a part of their life. I want them to be a part of my life. I, you know, so marriage to him and, and having a family to him was was an all-in thing. And so from he came from a good, solid family. He believes in family. And so from the beginning, you know, I talked to Ken Blackwell, who is a, a, a serious politico. He's also a believer, a very wise man. And he talked about 
um, having discussions with Mike about, you know, about the family. He's worked with Focus on the Family a lot with James Dobson, and he said, we have talked in length about providing for families and children the opportunities that many kids don't have, that they had growing up, that many children don't have, about having mothers and fathers and, and having, you know, the opportunities, not just academically, but spiritually, that kids today don't have, you know, that we had, you know, 50, 60 years ago, and the importance of that and and that kids just don't have today because mm-hmm. of the, the state of the world wow that's exactly right leslie montgomery thank you so very much the book is the faith of mike pence and uh we're going to read this one and we're going to look forward to the next one oh, uh, we're thank gonna you leave- for having me i appreciate you so much yeah thank you thank you all right we're gonna take a quick break and then we'll be right back All right, guys, wasn't that fun? Uh, And so let me encourage you to um, consider your own faith, consider your own walk of faith, consider your own political engagement. Uh, And then let's go back to the question that we started with at the top of the hour. And it's a question of identity. And we are in a genuine identity crisis here in the United States of America. And it's because there's a real identity thief out there um, who is seeking to convince you that you are not who God says you are. So you are, by God's design and by God's declaration, his child, redeemed in his son, um, enlivened, equipped, uh, brought to newness of life by the power of his Holy Spirit. You are his agent of grace. You are his ambassador of his kingdom, like, right? And so that's who you are. And so if the world tells you otherwise today, I want you to put your hands on your hips and put your chest out there a little bit and hold up your chin and uh, and say, hey, you know, whatever you're saying about me, um, I'm a child of God. I am a child of God. I'm redeemed in Christ. I may be a sinner, but I am a saint. All right, there you go. Those are your little marching orders for this hour. We'll be right back with another hour of Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.